Welcome, everybody. This is the ESOP Guy, and we are on a journey to an ESOP. So if this is your very first time tuning into this podcast, it has really been designed as a resource for folks that are thinking about jumping in to the deep end and becoming an ESOP company, an employee stock ownership plan company. And so there are people that continue to follow the podcast. I want to say thank you guys so much. But if it's if you're new to the podcast, you can find all of our episodes on journeytoanesop.com. Or you can go on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Just put in there the ESOP guy. And so, um, again, thank you for joining us today. Today, I wanted to kind of start off with a lot of what's happening and rumbling through the the news, which is, um, you know, really talking about the potential of a recession. So this the topic today is going to be ESOPs during a recession. Um, reading an article just came out yesterday from Kiplinger. Um, the U.S. gross domestic product contracted about 0.9% in the second quarter, following a decline of 1.6% in Q1. So effectively, they're saying the economy is shrinking a little bit in the United States. And there's been a lot of discussion, and especially because the, the stock market's been on a roller coaster um, going, you know, certainly down over the first six months, coming back up, you know, recently. Um, the economy is weird like that too, because we're also seeing, you know, a lot of different data related to the labor market. And so the economy really created 2.7 million jobs in the first half of 22 and really an ultra low unemployment rate of 3.6%. So it's, it's just a weird, a weird thing. And I don't think anybody knows for sure, of course, when it comes to, um, economists and the economy and people predicting what's going to happen, I don't, nobody really knows, but, but there are trends and there's, there's issues. And I think when you think about an ESOP transaction or an existing ESOP company, um, it's really, it's very important to really kind of identify what, you know, what the different landscape of a potential recession looks like as it applies to you moving into an ESOP. So to get some perspective on this topic, we're going, we're going to be joined today by ESOP trustee and veteran pension expert, Michael Miller. Uh, Michael owns Apex Pension Strategies and has been um, really a, a great asset to the ESOP space and even just for me personally, working with things, Michael's been a great um, resource in terms of questions, and certainly we've done we've done some some transaction work together too. So, um, but he's just a good friend as well. So, I just wanted to kind of welcome Michael to our podcast today. So, thanks, Phil. It's appreci- I appreciate being here, and I love being able to talk about ESOPs. It's a, really a big part of what I do every single day. Awesome. So, so to get started, Michael, um, one of the things I was going to ask you just completely off topic is what, because I do so many movie type of, of themes, what is your favorite all time movie? And, and, um, just, yeah, and just kind of get, kind of go from there. You know, I, that, that's a hard question. I, uh, I, I think that there's, there's three categories. One <laughs> is the, the old classic movies. And I'm I'm really a big fan of movies like The Dirty Dozen and and that group. Uh, those were so many stars at the beginning of their career, and uh, it was just a fantastic movie. Uh, when I was a kid and and through my adult years, all of the the Star Trek, I sorry the Star Wars movies, those that series of nine I think attracted me because I was I think I was about eleven years old when the first one came out. And uh, I don't get into all of the side things with the cartoons and, and that sort of thing. But, sure. Uh, and then, and then more recently in the new movies, I, I really enjoyed going to see 
Top Gun. Top Gun uh, too. That was, that was a great sequel. Awesome. Yeah. Now I love I love Star Wars too. When I was a kid, uh, had you, have you watched all the recent ones? That well, the newer ones to to finish continue to go through the saga. Um, I, I watched them all a yep. few times. Cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I like I like the original. You know, I, I don't know if it's you call them the the, the first movies or the middle ones because they were four, five, and six. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, I've watched those the most of those probably of the of the trilogy. That was probably my favorite three. It's awesome. Well, cool. Well, well, and again, when we when we think about this topic, of course, you know, it doesn't that doesn't apply to to the recession idea. But at the same time, it really is helpful to get to know you a bit better. Um, when we say recession, I know I know all sorts of things come to mind and. You know, I go back immediately to like the 2008, 2009 time period. I know that some people that maybe had just started working in the last five years or whatever, maybe maybe they haven't experienced anything, you know, as far as recession goes. Um, I know that some of my clients get a little bit like nervous when it comes to if I'm going to do a transaction, you know, what's this going to look like? Because it's kind of a, a very uncertain time period as we as we look at it. Um, where would you say, just kind of in general, from your research and just looking at what you do, where you, where do you think the economy is from your perspective? You know, it's mixed. This is a different kind of recession. You know, 08 and 09, because I've, I've been doing this since the late 80s. And so I've, I've seen the ups and the downs. And, and I was I was part of the, the 08 and 09 helping helping companies through the that, that great recession. And that was really very deep and went to all sectors of the economy all at one time. Mm-hmm. This is a little weird in the sense that we're coming out of the pandemic where the economy shut down, uh, and but it was a temporary type of a of, of a uh, of an effect. And then now we're going into a recession. So what I'm finding though is that is that companies don't seem to necessarily be hit as hard due to recessionary factors. Mm-hmm. What what happened, I think, is that a lot of companies use the pandemic as their way to right size. You know, did they have too many employees? Did they look for efficiencies? They they got a chance to take a breath and and essentially retool their processes during that time while they while they were holding things together. And now that we're into the recession, I'm not hearing as much doom and gloom about where we are right now. I guess different industries are hit in different ways, uh, but I think that they took a bigger hit in 2020 than they are necessarily today as they're, as they're announcing whether, whether we're in a recession or not, because I don't think there's even agreement that, that we're actually in one. Right. That's, that's part of the problem is the news doesn't know what to say. And, and then it becomes political too, because everything gets political nowadays. But, you know, my thing, looking at the job, the job reports, it's insane to say, to think how many people, you know, so many jobs are still not filled. And to me, the recession was classic recessions are really centered around people not having any work. And so they lose their ability to, to buy and spend money and continue to build the economy. Um, so it's really, I think it's it's anybody's guess. I think the, the market has reacted a lot through the year, um, anticipating a deeper a deeper recession. And now recently it's kind of coming back up too. So it's really, I think it's impossible to know. But I still think all of it kind of considering, it's definitely made some people nervous. And um, so one of the things, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this topic. And, and I think it's very timely. Um, and I think it'll, it'll be 
two, it's a, it's kind of like uh, it's always the case because nobody knows what the future is anyways. And so, you know, going into some transactions now, should a client or should a company that's thinking about selling their company to an ESOP, should they be nervous or really concerned in your opinion about, a, you know, a, a recession? I think the recession issues may be an influencer, but not a decision maker. And what I mean by that is that is that the the industries that, that a company may be, may be in right now, if they're considering selling or not, is going to be an idea of what do they think of the future of where where they're positioned. So, uh, so some things that we're looking at is well, if you're a home builder, it might be different than you're if you're a distributor, or if you're different than in professional services, and and it and that's why this is different than 08 mm-hmm. because that hit everybody all at the same time, and this is pockets here and there. So, so I definitely think it's something to be considered. Um, and more about what do you think your net income is going to be in the future? A lot of companies that, that they don't have assets. So the methodology is a discounted cash flow. So we're buying the future income stream. So that's kind of where these companies are saying, well, A, uh, am I, do I have a, a pretty strong future or is it, or is it solid and stable? B, you know, can I afford the cash flow? And, and even, and, and am I going to maximize value? Now, in an ESOP company, maximizing value isn't necessarily the top on the list, uh, but it is, you know, people certainly, the sellers want to secure retirement. And of course, they are concerned about the viability of their companies moving forward. Uh, couple that with the financing options and bank rates going up. So we, we do have some concerns about the feasibility aspect, but that's, but it's well planned for. So, so I think that we've got some multi-tiered decisions that, that get made, but I don't think it's a deal breaker. No, no, it's just, I think when you have any kind of uncertainty, um, it, it's something that has to be considered. And so, you know, with your, with your background, and again, I want to make sure people get like you have done, you know, since like the eighties, you've been in this, in this field, but you know, you've done a, a lot of ESOP transactions. You have, uh, I, I'm guessing from what you told me, like 80 plus something like that companies that you represent as trustees. Is that, is that right? Or is that? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So you've got a lot, a lot of wealth of experience at dealing with, with these kind of issues. When, when I go through a, tr- a process of doing a transaction at the very beginning, I really focus heavily on the forecast and the financial forecast is going to be used in the planning on a couple levels. First off, what is, what is the cash flow of the for, you know, the forecast going to, going to glean? And when, when you get down to some of the nitty gritty parts of the forecast, um, the, the difficulty is, is like really understanding what revenue is going to do and what is done in historical is going to be part of a data point. Um, contracts that the company has will be a data point. Um, the trends in the industry, the, the uh, averages, some of the new maybe ser- products or services the company has. So there's a, there's a lot of things that go into the revenue side. There's a lot, there should be some discussion and thought process about the gross margin and how the company's able to work through you know, continuing on keeping either that level. Um, supply chain's been an issue when it comes to gross profit. You know, certainly labor costs have been some of the issues. So forecasting is, you know, something I really 
heavily focus on. I think it's just an important part of the whole process. Um, you know, as we develop those models and you go through your, your on the trustee side, um, how do you look at when you re- were kind of thinking about the potential a recession, how do you look at the forecast? And I know you get some advising. Of course, you get advised by by valuation firms as well. So, but what what's on your mind when you think about those when we're when we have maybe a looming recession? You know, those forecasts are, are critical. And you're right. We I do rely on the on the financial advisor on the valuation firm to help me as far as what the research shows. But I think it's also it gets back to the story of the company. Most of these companies that are transitioning to an ESOP because they want to continue the legacy they're getting closer to retirement, those sorts of things. They want to they want to share the wealth with their employees. They have been in the, their business for a long time. This isn't this isn't they just started their business and now they're selling to an ESOP. Mm-hmm. These are these are our folks who have been in it for 25, 30, 40 years. And so they've also seen the ups and downs. So I listen very carefully to them. Yeah. You know, what, what is their opinion? Because, because they're in the detail of their company. You know, they know who their competitors are. They know what, what has happened over time uh, recently with you know, the pandemic, with, with 08, with, you know, with everything in between and, and the challenges and the successes that they've, achieved under different economic models. And, and that becomes really critical because evaluation itself, as you know, is not just it, it's not just about the financials. It's it's the art and the science. And and the art is what's the story? You know, mm-hmm. where where is it positioned? What are the customers like? And and sometimes we will extend that analysis to say, what you know, who are you serving and what are their what are their industries? You know, are you are you a plumbing distributor that is in the residential market? You know, so what's happening in the residential market? You know, and 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 so their customers will drive their results also. So it it we have to take a step back and and kind of look at the big picture. And that's how I'm I'm paying very close attention, which is why the which is why our initial due diligence meetings and and the 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 presentation that we have that you're helping to put together is, is critical for this process. Yeah, I, I totally agree. So if you saw a, in a transaction, like where the company's forecast is just, um, you know, really very strong, like they're just predicting very strong growth. Maybe may just be extreme. Like maybe they're, they're going to 20, 20, 30, 40% growth rates every year. Um, and we have a recession. How, how, how would you address that? And, and, and let's just say historically they've been, um, you know, maybe a three to 5% growth rate, nothing, nothing like the forecast. How would you address that in the process of doing a transaction? Or do you, um, do you see that at all? I, would, I mean, when you're, when you're doing deals? Yeah. I, I, I get cynical. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we, we don't want a hockey stick projection, which is what everybody calls it when you've yeah. got kind of smooth, steady growth. And then all of a sudden you're, you're projecting huge, enormous growth. There's gotta be a reason for it. And if, and if that's the case, we're going to certainly dig into it and see what, what's driving that answer. It, it may be completely legitimate, mm-hmm. but I, I'm going to be a skeptic on the front end and I'll ask the questions about why, you know, and, and, and maybe either ask the company to go back and revisit it or through the valuation process, we're going to, 
really apply some discounts that are going to that are going to normalize what's going on. Yeah, I think that's and that's kind of what I expected. I just want to make sure. I know people think, and, and this is really geared towards the people that are thinking about doing an ESOP, probably more than the people that are already existing ESOPs, just because they're putting together that information. They're working with their advisors. There are advisors out there that you know, frankly, will will push hard on a on a higher forecast because it's it's going to yield in the analysis a higher a higher value because a lot of weight is put on the discounted cash flow. So as a as a client or as a company, you're thinking about this. You do want to you do want an advisor to give you at the very beginning of your ESOP planning to give you some pushback on that forecast um, or at least root out like what's the purpose like what's the reason why. You know, even with a normal forecast, if they just say the normal historicals, um, well, business planning wise, like what what's going on behind the revenue numbers? Because I think that's a real important um, aspect. You don't want to get too deep into the process and be like, wow, you know, I, I thought I was going to get some huge amount of money. And then now I'm negotiating with Michael Miller and he's like telling me I'm going to get less. So, um, you know, so that those are just kind of thoughts that I have. Yeah, and and that's fair. But we have to remember, as you're saying, is that is that it's fine for for a sell side advisor to be pushing for higher numbers. I mean, that's their job is advocating for the seller. On my side as a trustee, I'm advocating for the participants. And by law, under ERISA, I'm not allowed to pay more than fair market value, or it's considered a prohibited transaction. So. So now what, what is fair market value? Well, there's, there's the art, Yeah, you know, so, so it's, it's, what are we agreeing to a willing buyer and a willing seller? Now, not all of that, but, and and what I want to want to say is that not all of that is buried in the purchase price because sometimes that happens on the back end. So we may negotiate a lower upfront purchase price, but there might be something like synthetic equity, like warrants or SARS or, or something on, or an earnout, you know, something that says if you can achieve these numbers on on this, what you're projecting, ha- I'm happy to share that with you and and the participants and not me personally, but but the participants get uh, recognize some of that value and you get paid out more value and so so there there's a give and take there and a structure so it it doesn't have to be a you have to fit in a particular box and it's an all or none situation. Yeah. I think that's a good point. And again, we're and within the topic of recession, what might make sense for a company is to kind of get okay with maybe a lower number when you're doing your planning, you know, where this is way before you get into negotiating with Michael or whoever your trustee is, is, is to kind of get comfortable with maybe with a lower number at the beginning and then know that if you have a warrant involved in the transaction, that you could pro- you could pretty much at the back end get paid the other piece of it, assuming assuming your company hits those targets and they they're able to come out and are or perform higher than than you um, maybe have even expected. So I think that's a good point. When you go into a recession, it helps you to maybe have a little lower price because the reality of of having and this is kind of what. I, t- I talk to a lot of clients, not just the the owners, but I talk about the key managers too, because they're going to be burdening, we're burdening the company with debt. And so, so now we go from having a company, let's just say, for instance, there's no debt. And now we have all this debt that has to be paid off. That can be a little uncomfortable for people to, um, 
and you know maybe even for the owners to be in the midst of of paying down debt like that. So having a little bit of a lower um, purchase price coming in could be helpful if you can if you can do what Michael's talking about and have something on the back end to make you you know whole and. So yeah, it's just, the other it, side of that is what what's the debt structure? So yeah, uh, you know if there's a difference between bank debt and seller debt. So the bank debt, you know, if we're dealing with the bank, we're certainly going to have a lot of covenants that are going to have to be agreed to because banks just like to have their requirements and and watch that companies are achieving them. But if you minimize the bank or eliminate them and have it as seller debt, you've got a lot of flexibility. So, so I find that sellers do like that. It's not the same as a personal guarantee. They're still involved in the, in the company. They feel like they're, they're attached to it because, because it's seller debt. But the, but the thing is that they have that flexibility. So, so they can tell the company, well, here, here's the plan, but we're going to watch what's going on. And so if we get into a recessionary mode, maybe the seller is going to back off to the company and say, you know what? Let's hold off on the payment because we've got better uses for this money. I don't need it right now. And so we'll just accrue the interest and catch up later, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and vice versa. So I think that, that we can deal with that on the, on the front end too. So feasibility and affordability uh, being burdened with the debt really depends on, on what. So if you're, if you're in the bank, maybe you've got, you've got smaller debt, as a percentage of the transaction. So you feel like you can always pay that and satisfy them. Yeah. And then, and then the seller mix comes in as more of a flexible type of a, of a perspective. Yeah. I think kind of going into the, the topic of financing in, and this is something I'm seeing right now happen is some banks that you have, you know, when you start your process of getting, you know, your ESOP planned, and you have the bank, maybe it's your incumbent bank that's pro- providing a term sheet. Uh, maybe you've gone out in the market and you've gotten multiple term sheets from banks. Um, as the banks, I mean, because it's not a commitment letter, the term sheet can change. So I, ha- I have had a deal just recently where the bank came back and said, you know what? We weren't going to charge. We weren't going to have you guys have personal guarantees, um, but now we're going to need them at least at least until we get through what we perceive as as recession. So this is just really recent. And my client decided, Hey, we're not comfortable with that. So we're going to, we're going to back off on the set, the bank debt completely. So we ended up doing a hundred percent seller financing. Um, and, you know, changing in the middle of the deal is kind of difficult, but, but you can do it. And we worked through all the, the documents to change them. But the bottom line is, is the bank is, you know, going to be in a risk position where there, some of them are going to react. Um, accordingly. So when you think about an ESOP deal, um, the terms that the bank is providing you, you need to really think about those terms. Um, you know, what does it mean to violate, you know, a loan covenant? And so most, most ESOP deals, um, are going to have some type of, of covenant that is going to be tied to the cash flow of the company. So it's going to be usually like a fixed charge coverage ratio or a debt service coverage ratio. So the question needs to be asked. Like what happens if I violate that covenant? And most banks are going to tell you this. It's they're going to say, "Hey, well, this is a flag. We're going to monitor it quarterly. Um, it's going to put us in a position so we can better understand." But at the same time, you when you violate a loan covenant, you're you're kind of in a 
in a tight spot. So some people, and just thinking, you know, about the financing discussion um, and having a recession, some people are going to be more comfortable and, you know, as, if this recession really starts to get more and more, um, you know, or deeper and deeper or whatever, it becomes more real, then it may make sense just to do 100% seller notes, you know, which means you don't get liquidity at the closing, but you have a lot more control over the, um, you know, the process of, of being flexible. So on your side, Michael, I mean, I don't know if you're seeing a lot of the changes there, but are you, what's your take on bank financing versus seller financing? Or, you know, do you have, do you have any preference for either? Um, I don't necessarily have a preference for either. Uh, I think the market is starting to shift now as the interest rates are going up. And so the banks have started getting a little more nervous. The other side of that is if you are doing a, uh, a C Corp 1042 transaction, they may use the the bank debt uh, and, and link that with the 1042 investment in order to have that collateral outside of essentially a personal guarantee. So it's really protecting the bank. And that's and that's what they want to get to. I, I really see that that most ESOP companies are very solid, that they that they do so much planning on the front end that the that it that it is affordable and that uh, and that what happens is that is that the bank debt is paid off quickly, quicker than than usually planned. And then the bank's coming back asking to take out the rest of the debt that the seller had in the deal because they've been so pleased with what's going on. Now that may change a little bit as we get deeper into a recession, if it does get deeper or, or longer, but, um, but I, I have seen this over and over and I don't think it's necessarily recession related as it is to the, the company's own financials. Mm-hmm. And as long as there's a good plan in place to continue uh, making their money and, and generating their business, it's not going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, that, and that is like the whole concept of your business, like the fundamental part of business of owning a business or running a business is cash is king. You know, so if you have cash, you can work out things. So when you've been a trustee at all these companies, have you seen, you know, I guess some things that were companies either because of recession or they just went through a downturn. How have you seen them manage through that downturn? Um, you know, and maybe you've seen some real bleak parts or stories that are like, Hey, I don't know how we're going to get through this next year. So, I've, you know, what would you say about that in terms of your experience level and dealing with those kind of companies going through that down that, that difficult time? Uh, I, I have dealt with those companies and I, I have a couple right now. I mean, not everybody is, on the upswing, um, I, I have a couple of companies that are going through some some covenant issues with their banks, and so it, it's not all it's not all rosy. No. What happens as a trustee is that even though I'm not on the board as a trustee, I approach the board and we're working together because I'm challenging the board to say, well, what can you do to right the ship? Mm-hmm. You know, what what steps have you taken? What are you documenting? With respect to how is the pipeline going? What are you? What what is your staffing like? Where can you where can you uh, affect expenses and and revenues? And who are the right people? And what are the conversations you're having with the banks? Banks don't want to step in. I mean, they they really don't. 
Uh, you know, it's like, it's like when you, they don't want to foreclose on a mortgage, you know, they don't want your house. And so, so what they want to do is work with you. So there are choices and negotiations that you can go through and, and provide them the information to say that you're going through this and trying to do that. Um, so, so I have an obligation on behalf of the trust and the participants to, to challenge the board to do that. And, uh, you know, and sometimes it takes a little bit longer than others. Sometimes, you know, that the idea is, is the fact that there is a company that will fail. I mean, it's been very rare, I would say, and, and history shows that ESOP companies hold together much better than non-ESOP companies. And so, uh, so if a company gets to that situation where the writing's on the wall, it's got to go up for sale. And then you can clear up all of, all of the issues that way too. But um, yeah, I've, I'm dealing with a couple of those cases now, and it's not that they're going to go out of business, but they are taking the, those steps. They, they also are relying on the employees because everybody knows what's going on. It may not be overt in the sense of the employees are not seeing the financials of the company. You know, they're, they're not seeing if there's losses or, or profits are down or things like that. But they kind of get a feeling just because owners are, are tend to be more active in the companies and, and they are walking around and you can see the stress on their faces and, and the owners sometimes are, are going to reach out to the employees and say, I'm, we're, we're an employee owned company and we're going to solicit your ideas too. What do you think that, that, I mean, it would be hiding the message, but the, but essentially what they're trying to do is say, are you, you know, what, what can you do to help the process? Mm-hmm. You know, is there efficiencies you can drive? Is there, um, you know, are, are there other sources of revenue and ideas that you can bring to the table? Yeah. And I, and I think they rally around that in, in an ESOP company much more than a, a non-employee ownership environment. Yeah. And it kind of, that makes me, that's a great point. And it makes me think about, you know, so we're not all doom and gloom on, Hey, this is, you know, recession time, but the positives of a recession, you know, like you, you alluded to, which is like, Hey, if we go through a tough time together as employees in um, an employee owned company, we become, we become better. It almost draws people's strengths out. Um, innovation can happen and you can really use it to strengthen the ESOP culture itself. Um, so I think that's a great, that's a great point. Like some of the, some of the blessings of having a recession, um, I think would be a good thing to think about. Um, one of the thoughts I had as you were talking is, and just recently, some of the things I'm working on is, Hey, now because of maybe a recession that's happening, um, and I kind of talked about the unemployment being so low, but it may wiggle out some new people that weren't available, you know, so your, your talent pool, might be opened up again now in terms of recruiting and in building out, you know, the, the, the right people and the right seats. Um, so, so there's, there's, there's some, there's some positives to a recession. You know, nobody wants it that, well, nobody wants to go into a, uh, you know, a depression or have any major abrupt problems, you know, in the economy. But at the same time, if it's mild, it can be somewhat positive for some companies. Um, so where, do, where do you see that Michael on your side, as far as some of the, some of the positive things that come out of recessions? I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think that, that this is a little different in, in that we saw some of this right sizing through the pandemic when people stopped working. But I, as I look back at 08 and 09, 
I think that some of the things that you're saying really held true. Um, I'll give you an example is that a building supply company I, I was working with uh, in Atlanta, they had problems, you know, with the recession, everything really fell apart then, but they used the ESOP as a rallying point. And what they did do was that they, they held together. The employees were willing to, to make sacrifices, whether it was a, 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 a salary reduction for a short time or, or something else. But what they were watching was that their competitors who were not employee owned were dropping like flies. Mm. And because of that, they found an opportunity to, to grab employees and market share and the, uh, and the businesses themselves to expand what they, what they did. And so, uh, so it really was something that, that they saw as a positive because when they came out of the recession, they were monsters mm-hmm. and they continue to be to this day. Good monsters. So I, I think, I, I think, yeah. So I, I think you were, um, you know, what, what you're saying is, is yeah. holding true. Yeah. Yeah. So it's something as much as we can look at the negative, that there's definitely some positives that, that could come out of it for companies. I always try to tell people to just, you know, cause we can get to years where we're growing and growing and growing that we start, we start to forget about just recession proofing our businesses, you know, making sure that I have the proper line of credit to make sure in case I, I needed it. Some companies go year after year. Um, so making sure I have access to cash, making sure I've really looked at my costs, you know, and sometimes costs creep up and we don't really focus on those. So there's, you know, not what this topic is today, but there are definitely some things you should do to, to, to think about recession proofing. But if you're prepared for it, like Michael said, then you can come out of that much, much stronger and have a much higher valuation. Um, and again, ESOPs are for the long term. I mean, their their transactions are going to be for the selling shareholders, but the, for the employee side, it's going to be a long term benefit. So, riding out a, a, a recession as an employee in an ESOP company um, can actually be a good thing um, because of the things that we were just talking about. Um, from an employee perspective, Michael, is there anything else that you know the employees? I mean, because I would imagine they get nervous if the company's going through a, a downturn. Is there anything that you as a trustee, because you definitely aren't connected more to the participants, would tell people um, in a company that's in an ESOP going through a a difficult time? Uh, Communication is critical in an employee-owned company. This is what gives the employees the security to stay with the jobs, to ride this out, to look for efficiencies, to, to really drive that loyalty both ways. You know, it's the employee's loyalty to, to working for the company and it's the company's loyalty to the employees that says, you're very important to this process. We can't do it without you. That our financials may be reflected in our stock price, but it's all unrealized until you actually take it. So, so we're gonna see ups and downs. Most of us, you know, at the ownership level, have seen this stuff before. We know how to deal with it. So take take some comfort in that we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're preparing, and we're doing this for you because as an as an ESOP company, remember this: the the owners, yes, they want to get paid if their debt's not paid off, but it's also to preserve that long term benefit for the employees because it is a retirement benefit. 
uh, it just happens to be invested in company stock. So, so the impact is much greater than if you were going to go to, uh, to the market and buy like shares of Coca-Cola stock, because you're not going to impact the price of, of Coke stock by drinking another soda. You know? <laughs> but, but what you do every day in the company really has a, has a, a huge impact. Yeah, that's a great point. So we're, we're kind of out of time at this point, but I wanted to kind of finish with any, anything that you kind of final words or advice for people that are going through the ESOP process or going to beginning the ESOP process, um, that you would add to, you know, just the way that they're making their decision. I would say that in general, ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to, you want to not get surprised as to what the process is or what's involved. It is an M&A transaction. Be realistic. And that, and then you'll have some short-term goals and some long-term goals. But the idea is that, is that this may feel complicated and, and it is to some degree, but you're, you're still driving your own destiny. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's really important in an ESOP company because you're still going to be involved. It's still your name on the door that you've built up. And, and if you're on the board moving forward, which most are, you still have that decision-making as opposed to selling out, losing the culture and, and really just the, everything that you work for disappeared, except maybe forgetting the financial rewards and, and the, uh, you know, and, and most ESOP company owners, I think care about their employees and, and what happens to them longer term. So it's a, it, it's a great process. Uh, and don't be afraid to ask questions. Awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for your insight, Michael. I, I know that just kind of being able to talk through that a little bit, especially having you know so much experience, is really helpful for people. Um, so for everybody else, um, again, thank you for your time today, Michael. I appreciate you you being on our podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. So for everybody else, um, thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. Um, you can, if you want to go out on our website at journeytoanesop.com, you can find other episodes that might be really helpful on your journey to an ESOP. And so with that, I just wish everybody a great day, a great weekend, and we'll, we'll see you soon.